Welcome to the Insomnia Coach Podcast. My name is Martin Reed. I believe that nobody needs to live with chronic insomnia and that evidence-based cognitive and behavioral techniques can help you enjoy better sleep for the rest of your life. The content of this podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not medical advice and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any disease, disorder or medical condition. It should never replace any advice given to you by your physician or any other licensed healthcare provider. Insomnia Coach LLC offers coaching services only and does not provide therapy, counselling, medical advice or medical treatment. The statements and opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily endorsed by Insomnia Coach LLC. All content is provided as is and without warranties, either express or implied. Jennifer's insomnia was deeply entrenched. After working with me for four weeks, she felt as though it was becoming more difficult to get through the day. Her sleep had not improved and she was understandably feeling discouraged. However, Jennifer kept going and four weeks later she was happier with her progress. She was experiencing less daytime fatigue and getting more sleep, but she was still finding it hard to fall back to sleep when she woke during the night. Again, Jennifer kept going. She continued to implement techniques that build sleep drive, strengthen the body clock and lower arousal she began to notice that the quality of her days wasn't completely dependent on how much sleep she got. She stopped striving for sleep, she stopped putting effort into sleep, and she stopped worrying about sleep. In this episode, Jennifer explains how changing her sleep-related thoughts and behaviours not only improved her sleep, but also her quality of life. She shares how she coped with setbacks by focusing on the process rather than progress and tells us about the moment she realised that she knew exactly how to respond to sleep disruption and understood that she was now armed with lifelong skills that would enable her to enjoy better sleep for the rest of her life. A full transcript of this podcast and an accompanying video can be found at insomniacoach.com forward slash podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come on to the podcast today, Jennifer. Well, you're welcome. Good to be here. It's great to have you on. I'm going to just start right at the beginning. Um, can you just tell us how your sleep problems began um, and what you think initially triggered that sleep disruption? Well, I believe that sleep has always been a bit of a challenge for me. I know mm -hmm. even as a child, my parents would talk about that I wasn't a great sleeper. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I'm a bit of a warrior um, by nature. And so I, uh, I know that, um, that just the over-focus on, on sleep or lack of sleep, even really early on, was always there for me. Um, but I think one of the precipitating events was the birth of my kids and I love my kids, but, um, you know, kids are a challenge when they're little and 
um, when you're a young mom and you have to get up three or four times in the night to attend to a child, mm-hmm. I mean, that throws any mother, any parent's sleep into disarray. So I, that certainly happened for me. Um, and then I have two children who are very close in age. So for a while, I had two little children getting up uh, most nights. And so it became sort of this ongoing battle with just trying to get any sleep at all um, with little kids. Uh, and then as they became better sleepers, I noticed that I really wasn't becoming any, a better sleeper mm-hmm. again. Um, but again, life is busy and you know, you're a, a full-time working mother and um, you just sort of muddle through, you make it work because you have to. And that was sort of my story with it. Um, it's always been a struggle for me, uh, falling asleep and staying asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of followed me through my life. And, and there were periods of, of time where sleep got better and then it would get worse. And, um, there were some events in my life as I, as I aged, uh, I had a friend die some years ago and that was traumatic for me. And mm-hmm. sure enough, my sleep got worse after that. Um, and then most recently, um, and really, when I kind of came to, I really need to once and for all try to find a way to solve this problem. My father passed away last year. And once again, that threw me into another um, period of particularly difficult sleep. Um, so there are definitely events I can point to in life, but I also think there's this underlying uh, just being a really light sleeper, bit of a warrior, um, that kind of personality. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I th- I thought it was really interesting how you used that word precipitating, you yeah. know, um, I, I, it's something that I picked up on straight away because we use that as part of the model for chronic insomnia, you know, this 3P model, um, right. whereby we say some people are just naturally predisposed, the first P, to some sleep disruption. So yeah. from what you've said, we can see that maybe you were just someone who is predisposed. To, to more sleep disruption you know you mentioned that your parents always described you as someone that wasn't the best sleeper in the world right. um, but then you had these clear precipitating events you know motherhood um, bereavement um, big life changes things like that and it's completely normal and understandable that sleep would be disrupted at those times um, normally sleep just recovers by itself as we adapt um, But then we have that final P in the model for chronic insomnia, which is the perpetuating factors. And these are generally all the things we do in response to that sleep disruption, quite understandably, because we want to fix the problem, right? But the the problem is that all those things we do typically make it harder for our sleep to recover and they perpetuate the problem. Hence, we've got that third P. Um, So on that note, on that third P, these perpetuating factors, Um, what kind of things do you recognize from your own experience that you tried to do in a bid to improve your sleep? Well, yes. Um, when I, when I found you back in, in December, um, I actually kind of made a list for myself because I had to kind of do an inventory of what got me to this place. And, um, and when I said to you that I've tried everything, I, I, I actually, in looking at the list, pretty much had. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, everything from I'm a very active person, so I'm, I'm physically active. I, um, I'm, 
very lucky. I live in a place where uh, the foothills are right behind me and I'm a big, big hiker. And so I get up very early in the morning. I hike. It's kind of been my thing for many, many years. Um, I travel a lot. And so I, I stay very fit and active, biking, hiking, um, lots of different sports over time. Um, so, you know, I, I certainly tried exercise as one of the ways uh, in doing a lot of reading years ago to improve sleep because everybody knows mm. if you're tired, physically tired, you sleep well, unless you don't. <laughs> um, so uh, that was sort of the beginning. Uh, I sought out medical help from first my primary care doctor um, who, uh, you know, gave me sort of the usual advice, um, uh, you know, um, try some yoga, some meditation, which I certainly did and still do. And it absolutely does help and improve things. Um, I learned what sleep hygiene was. And so I tried to control my bedroom environment to, um, to, uh, you know, the protocol of sleep hygiene, but with really kind of little or no impact, um, for me. Um, I used some supplements, you know, if you go online, there are hundreds and hundreds of supplements that claim to help you with sleep. Yep. I tried acupuncture, um, massage, I, uh, I did cognitive um, therapy with a therapist for a while. And then finally, um, I resorted to medication and mm. sought out help from a psychiatrist who prescribed various medications over time, which I have been off and on as I have um, relate to you for about 20 years mm -hmm. and they would help for some period of time and then uh, pretty much, you know, failed and then a different medication be tried and sometimes it would help. Sometimes it wouldn't. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure if I left anything out that uh, other people would say they tried, but that's a pretty significant list. <laughs> Yeah, it, it is a significant list. And I think that a lot of people listening to this will identify with it, probably have equaled you there, maybe even exceeded that list. Um, you know, I'm still yet to come across someone with insomnia that hasn't tried many, many, many different things in a bid to improve their sleep. Um, and it's just a shame that they didn't have access or were aware of the best way of addressing these sleep issues, um, which is these cognitive and behavioral techniques, just because they address those perpetuating thoughts and behaviors that make it harder for sleep to get back on track. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, like you kind of touched upon it, especially when it comes to medication and supplements, everything kind of works until it doesn't work. And then that just leads you scrambling to look for the next thing to try and then the next thing to try and the next thing to try. So it's almost like you're just kind of treading water, you know, you don't feel as though you're really making that progress. Um, and that's beside the fact that what's going to happen when you stop taking that supplement or what's going to happen when you stop taking that medication, because ultimately you've not addressed those thoughts and behaviors that are perpetuating the sleep disruption. Right. And that's a real confidence eroder too. When, if there's a belief that, and for me, there certainly was, I can't sleep without this or that. Mm -hmm. And then you, you prove yourself to be correct when your sleep erodes, which it eventually does. And so your confidence just, you know, really is impacted by that. Yeah, exactly. You know, when I, when I work with clients who are taking medication or supplements, um, 
ultimately I just leave the decision to them in terms of what they want to do. You know, whether you want to just quit them or keep taking them doesn't really matter because they're not generating sleep. They're really not having that much influence on sleep um, in the bigger picture of things. Mm. Um, but the time that they can, you know, cause a problem that you just touched upon in terms of eroding that sleep confidence is if you choose to take things contingently, you know, so let's say you have a few bad nights in a row, um, then you reach for something and then you sleep. You can just develop that mistaken belief that you only slept because you took X, whatever that thing was. Um, and that can really erode your sleep confidence because the fact is you slept because your sleep drive was strong enough to generate sleep for you. Um, and every night of difficult or disrupted sleep increases that sleep drive. So sleep, natural sleep is becoming more and more likely. But then, you know, when you've just kind of had enough and you reach for that pill or that supplement or whatever, and then you sleep because your sleep drive reached that critically intense level where sleep was, where wakefulness was impossible to sustain. Um, Instead of recognizing your own ability to sleep, you can just reinforce this idea that you only slept because of that, whatever you right, took. Right. You're absolutely right. So I think you touched upon this a little bit earlier, but you know, in what ways were you struggling to, to, to sleep? You know, what was a, what was an average night like back, back when you were struggling? Well, as I said, um, I had both, uh, trouble falling asleep and, um, sustaining sleep throughout the night. So everybody wakes up in the night, but right. uh, for a lot of people going back to sleep is not a struggle for me. It always was a struggle. So, um, so when I would wake up, um, so Falling asleep would be like um, an hour, two hours some nights. Some nights I wouldn't sleep at all. Um, those were not that frequent, but but they certainly did happen. Um, and so when I did wake up in the middle of the night, um, you know, I, I often woke up sort of in this panic because I recognized I was awake. And for me, that meant likely either not going back to sleep at all the rest of the night or it being many hours before I went back to sleep. Uh, and of course, you know, the moment you panic, um, as we all know, even people who sleep well know that um, mm. it makes it difficult if you're, if you're panicking to go back to sleep. Right. So uh, a lot of my nights kind of look like that. And maybe it was three to four hours on average, something like that a night. Um, that would be kind of an average night's sleep for me. Yeah. And something that people who haven't experienced long-term chronic insomnia um, probably don't recognize is the impact this can have like on your day. You know, it's not just a problem in terms of struggling through the night. It can make it harder to struggle through the day as well. Right. Yes. Um, for you, you know, what were your, your days like back then? What, how, how do you feel that that struggle with sleep influenced your days? Yeah, I mean, if I look back on it now, given the quality of my life is so much better now, mm -hmm. uh, it's remarkable that I got through as well as I did. Mm -hmm. right. And what I really see is um, how resilient the body is and, and yeah. uh, that I was really able to uh, quite efficiently get through my day most days even with three or four hours of sleep it's not that i ever got used to it i always felt poorly um but you know i could take care of my kids and hold down a, a full-time job that 
um, was oftentimes a stressful job. Um, as, I, as I said, I'm active, so I, uh, I always exercised every day, even if I didn't feel well, because I knew it would make me feel better. Yeah. Um, so uh, I just think the human body is remarkable that way, but I would say the quality of life was certainly diminished from what I'm experiencing now. Yeah, you know, you made that's an excellent point that you made that we are remarkably resilient. The body is really good at just naturally compensating for sleep disruption and getting us through the day. And, you know, as you're able to now reflect upon, you can see that there's that definite difference in terms of the quality of your days. But you can also, you've also got that perspective of being able to recognize, wow, I, I did get through all that. You know, <laughs> I, I successfully raised kids. I successfully had a career and got through my days at work. Even when I was really struggling, I was able to still be active. And when I was active, that helped me feel a little bit better. And it just goes to show, you know, that although insomnia can have a very real negative impact on our lives, we are remarkably resilient in the face of insomnia and we are able to get through the day. Right. Right. Sometimes the scariest part is what you believe, not really what happens. You yeah. know, you read so much online about all the bad things that can happen to you uh, if you don't get enough sleep. And of course that just, again, perpetuates, there's that word, the problem. Yeah. Um, and I, I knew from all the things I had read that getting three or four hours of sleep, could eventually cause major health problems for me because mm -hmm. that's everybody knows that, right? You read it everywhere. Um, but to the degree you actually believe that just you dig your hole deeper. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where, you know, education can just play such an important role. Um, and that's why, you know, when clients start working with me, one of the things that we go through, um, as I'm sure you remember, is this sleep education component. Before we talk about anything to do with behavioral changes, it's just learning more about what normal sleep is. Just because whether we have insomnia or not, there's a lot of incorrect beliefs about sleep and one of them you know is this idea that we need to get say eight hours of sleep and that that's something we should all strive for um when you were going through this kind of educational component of the course what, did you have like any aha moments or anything that you really identified with that helped change the way you think about sleep and maybe reduce that worry or that arousal um one of the things I recall is being really relieved to find out from you that uh, eight hours of sleep was really not necessary. For me, in, in only getting three or four hours of sleep, I can't imagine eight hours. You know, to me, that was so out of the realm of possibility. Now it isn't, but um, then it certainly was, that um, there was such a relief in, in being educated and knowing that this mythology of everyone needs eight hours of sleep or else mm -hmm. is really debilitating for a lot of us Yeah, and just yeah. not true. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there probably are a really, really small number of people out there that maybe their individual requirement is eight hours, but they would definitely be the exception rather than the norm. Um, I think most people, it's probably closer to, you know, five and a half, six hours, probably about six-ish hours. Mm -hmm. um, but we're all different, you know, just like we, we wear different shoes, different shoe size, you know, we all have our yeah. own individual sleep requirement. And just as let's say we wear a size five shoe, but we want to wear a size eight shoe, 
not much we can do about that, right? right. And it's the same for sleep. Um, if our individual sleep requirement that the body is capable and all it needs is say six hours, striving to get eight hours is first of all, not going to produce more sleep. And second of all, that very process of trying, you know, striving and putting effort into sleep is completely counterproductive and will probably end up making sleep more difficult. Mm. One of the great assignments you give that uh, was really useful throughout, but in the beginning, as I was uh, learning more about uh, behavioral changes is the sleep diary. And uh, in the very beginning, um, I focused a lot on the number of hours because certainly I was recording that uh, the number of hours of sleep I was getting. Um, and yet as time passed and I began to um, understand more deeply about sleep, uh, I really focused more on the quality of the sleep I was getting instead of the time that I felt I was actually asleep. And what I noticed is that uh, if I, um, if I assessed how I felt during the day um, as a result of the sleep the night before, that was a better barometer for me than did I get four hours or six hours or three hours or zero hours or how did I feel? Yeah. Yeah. And, and really that's all that matters, right? Because the numbers don't matter. All that matters is if we wake up in the morning, we feel refreshed from sleep, uh, we feel as though we've got enough energy to get through the day, then ultimately that means that our sleep is probably fine. Um, right. The numbers really don't matter that much. It's just right. how we feel. Sleep is really, really subjective. Yeah. And for me, it took the pressure off too, right? And not striving for the, the number of hours, removing that pressure of, oh my gosh, I didn't get five or six or whatever the number is. Um, and when I really shifted my attention to the quality of how I felt, then suddenly the worry about, did I get enough, uh, in terms of time it's disappeared. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, another thing that's interesting is we can't really control sleep duration, you know, apart from, I mean, we could deliberately deprive ourselves of sleep, you know, by only spending an hour in bed. Um, but we can't do the opposite. There's no way that we can make ourselves sleep for say seven hours or to sleep for say eight hours. We have no control over that, but we do have control over sleep quality to a certain extent, you know, so we can more closely align the amount of time we allot for sleep with how much sleep we generally get to reduce nighttime wakefulness, um, build sleep drive. That makes it easier for us to fall asleep, um, leads to more consolidated sleep. It's just one example. So we can control that sleep quality. And ultimately, it's sleep quality that influences how we feel during the day and how refreshing we feel that our sleep was. Mm. Yeah, that's true. I, I remember um, in the very beginning, like, you know, week one through four, something like that. Uh, understanding sleep drive was key for me because it, it was the beginning of me getting confidence back about sleep. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that was that, um, that before, because I relied on other things other than myself to fall asleep, I didn't really understand sleep drive. I didn't really, I think I said to you in my initial interview, I don't really understand what it is to feel sleepy like sleepy. Mm -hmm. People say, I'm, I feel sleepy. I'm going to bed. I feel sleepy. That wasn't a usual occurrence for me. Um, mm -hmm. But 
in, in building sleep drive such that, you know, you're not going to sleep until for me, my sleep window was quite uh, condensed. Um, so I really got to feel what it felt like to be very, very, not just tired, but sleepy and ready to fall asleep. And uh, the minute I learned that, I started to feel confident that I could fall asleep because there's no way I could have not. <laughs> the mm. sleep drive was so strong at that point um, that falling asleep was was quite easy. Yeah, I, th I think I, I really like starting with that sleep window um, as kind of like the first behavioral change um, that I talk about with clients, just because it really helps you get that early win, helps you get that sense of sleepiness back where it may have previously been lost. Um, you know, a lot of us can mistake fatigue with sleepiness. Um, so we might go to bed when we're feeling kind of worn out and exhausted which might not mean that we're actually sleepy enough for sleep. Um, so by allotting an appropriate amount of time for sleep, not only do we, by default, spend less time awake during the night, but we've got a lot more time for sleep drive to build during the day. Mm -hmm. And with every minute that we're building up that sleep drive, it makes sleep more and more likely to happen. And you do get that intense feeling of sleepiness um, because that that wakefulness you're staying awake for longer um you're out of bed for longer and that can just be so reassuring you know because mm -hmm. you can recognize that my sleep drive is there it, it's not broken um there is nothing you know from a medical standpoint there's nothing wrong with me that sleep right. drive is there and it can just be so reassuring and it goes from one way you're kind of sometimes you can be dreading the approach of bedtime or oh, bedtime in an hour bedtime in half an hour and it completely switches it around where it's like come on I've still got to wait one more hour before I can go to bed now I've got to wait 30 minutes before going to bed and you actually right. really look forward to that relief of getting into right. bed and that can just be so transformative as an experience right. and that time shifts a lot too um, I remember in the early part of working with you um, I would get just incredibly sleepy too early in the night like six o'clock seven o'clock eight o'clock and have to just really do everything i could to hang on and sometimes i would actually leave my house and go for a walk just to kind of wake myself up enough yeah. to make it to my sleep window um and then um the arousal system would kick in as i got closer to the sleep window and suddenly i would be more awake closer to the sleep window and it took a little while to to adjust that so that um, so that I was actually sleepy closer to the sleep window instead of too far from it. It's mm -hmm. it's um, this therapy works tremendously well, but it's not an overnight thing. It really it does take time, and and the body doesn't adjust quickly. Um, but I was really willing and committed to give it all the time it needed to to make it work. Yeah, you just touched upon it. You know, it is it is a process. Um, it's not necessarily a quick fix. It, it can take weeks, maybe even a few months. Um, but in my experience, everyone that is committed and consistent will experience improvements in their sleep. Just because, like we touched upon, 
sleep drive always wins in the end. If you're awake for long enough, you're always going to sleep. Um, so if we can kind of harness the power of that sleep drive, um, and if we can harness the natural power of our body clocks by doing things like getting out of bed at a consistent time every morning, being active during the day, and if we can try to reduce arousal, you know, worry and anxiety and thinking about sleep throughout the day and at night, conditioned arousal, um, all those aspects, if we can work on addressing them, get involved in the process of addressing them, sleep is always going to improve because they are the perpetuating factors behind chronic insomnia. Right. I remember you coaching me, um, saying to me a number of times when I was having a rough spot, um, don't worry, Jennifer, sleep will always win. And mm -hmm. I just kind of held on to that always. Sleep will always win, even when it doesn't seem like it right now. And you were right. It always did. It always did win. Yeah. You know, I, th I think we should talk about this a little bit more, you know, because I think we were about halfway through my online course. You're like four weeks in, it's eight weeks long. And at that point, you weren't seeing significant improvements in your sleep, but you said that you were actually feeling more fatigue, you know, yeah. um, it was even getting more difficult to get through the day. Um, and quite understandably, this made you feel discouraged. You know, am I doing things right? What's what's going on? What's wrong? Is there something unique with my insomnia that means it can't be fixed? Things like right. this. Um, especially because, you know, you, you were implementing the techniques. You were doing things like getting out of bed when being in bed didn't feel good to help address right. that conditioned arousal. You were working really hard on that consistent out of bedtime in the morning and following the sleep window. Um, so, how how did you manage to keep going like during that point? Because you were putting all this effort in, you actually maybe were feeling worse than before you started implementing these techniques. How did you motivate yourself to keep going at that point? Uh, a couple things. I um, one, as I said from the start, I feel like I have had tried everything, mm -hmm. and this was my in my mind, this was my last shot at something that seemed like the right road. It wasn't a medication or um, some, or some sort of potion or something else. It was something that I could do on my own that my body could generate. And I desperately wanted a solution that was quote natural. Mm -hmm. um, so there was that. Um, and I, I just believed that, I can't tell you exactly how I just believed that this would work in spite of the fact there were points when it was discouraging and, um, and difficult. And you're right, getting up uh, multiple times a night uh, and staying up and then going back to bed to hopefully fall back asleep. Um, there were times when I felt bad, but I always, I always uh, told myself that even the worst night my days the next day were still better than most days on medication and what it feels like to wake up with a medication hangover and not sleeping only three or four hours a night. So mm -hmm. when I reminded myself that one, I, I could get through the day no matter what, even if I didn't sleep at all, I had, I knew I had experience getting through the day. Mm -hmm. Um, and that even the worst days through this program, um, were better than many days I had experienced in the past that mm. sort of kept me going. Yeah. I, I remember the, you know, 
you made a comment to me once that this whole process of getting in and out of bed, sometimes it felt a little bit like a cruel trick because you would find that you would fall asleep maybe like five minutes before the alarm went off to signal the end of your sleep window. So you'd gone through this whole process throughout the night of every time being in bed didn't feel good, you got out of bed, which is really good so that you're not reinforcing this idea that the bed is an unpleasant place to be. Um, So you'd be getting in and out, in and out. And then that final time you just fall asleep, alarm goes off, end of the sleep window, but you still stay committed and you got out of bed by the end of the sleep window. How did you manage to do that? That's something that (laughs) (laughs) so many people struggle with. And my clients are always asking me for tips and suggestions on how Mm. they can stay committed to that consistent out of bedtime. Do you have any tips or or guidance you can offer there? Well, I did have uh, a routine I developed for, so my out of bedtime was 5 a.m. And so when my alarm would go off at 5 a.m., first of all, I devised a really sweet little alarm that's bird sounds and not some glaring alarm. And I will say that seems like a, is that really a tip? But it really was lovely to wake up to that sound and not just some glaring alarm. So there's that. Uh, And the routine that I developed is um, I like to drink tea, so I would use it. and, And when I was doing this with you, you know, it was, it was the winter, so it was very dark at 5 a.m. Now it's, you know, kind of getting light already. But so I would um, make some tea and I would watch some television for one hour just because it's fairly mindless. And I would watch something, you know, I'd get into a series and I'd watch something that I really enjoyed, but that was not very um, anxiety provoking, something simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just let myself kind of wake up for the day between 5 a.m. and 6 a.m. So I'm awake, but I'm not really doing anything. And then I would begin my day. um, And uh, strangely, I began to look forward to that 5 a.m. wake time. um, Mm. Because the time between 5 and 6 a.m., I had created a lovely kind of moment before my day began. Yeah. I really, I really like that. You know, it's almost like, you know, how we talk about taking time to unwind before bed, you know, maybe like an hour before your bedtime, you just relax, do whatever you want, as long as you find it enjoyable. Um, you kind of flip that around and also yeah. use it in the morning, which is great, you know, because I always tell people, you know, it when you don't have to be like jump out of bed as soon as the sleep window ends and go for a run or, you know, jump in the shower, have a cold shower or anything like this. All we're saying is it's a good idea to just get out of bed and not fall back to sleep at a consistent time in the morning. Um, So if it helps, you know, grab your blanket, drag it to the couch, you know, have a cup of tea on the couch or a cup of coffee on the couch, watch some TV, start your day as slowly as you're ending the day. Um, that can be really helpful too, because it's a bit more appealing, right? Than this whole yeah. idea that you've got to jump out of bed and get your day started. Um, just start it slowly and gently. That's that's a really uh, powerful mm-hmm. insight. I think that's going to help a lot of people. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so we were talking about how you were kind of halfway through the course, feeling a little bit um, discouraged, but doing really well uh, implementing these techniques. And I think it was shortly after that that you kind of experienced this breakthrough moment. I think that every client that I work with has this one memorable breakthrough moment. And it's typically either something like, for the first time, I recognize that I can have a good day after a bad night of sleep. Um, For other people, it's 
I had this great night of sleep, the best night of sleep I can ever remember. And I think that was, that was what you experienced. Yeah. Yeah. And it helps, you know, it helps you recognize that you do have that natural ability to sleep and sleep well all by yourself, no medication needed, no supplements needed, no external sleep crutches needed. And then a couple of weeks later, you know, you'd stringed some of those great nights together in a row um, and you were doing so much better at that point. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that you, by that point, you weren't even taking medication um, anymore. No, I actually stopped the medication. um, I think the last time I took it was maybe week three and I only was taking it once or twice a week, even Mm. between week one and three. So I stopped it very early. I mean, I was very committed to exiting that medication uh, very early on. I needed to prove to myself I could do this. Yeah. So, you know, the benefit of that, you know, is all those improvements, that breakthrough night, then that string of good nights, you got to recognize that it was all down to you and just your natural ability to sleep. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, 20 years of learned behavior that has to be unlearned and something else has to replace it. And I think, uh, you know, what I would say to other people is that, um, that this is a process. This does take time, particularly if you've been at the insomnia thing for many years, the way I had been. Um, And I think it took me a little longer probably than most folks because I did have to um, quit the medication as well as learn the techniques and implement them. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, you know, worth every minute of struggle. <laughs> yeah. So I think, so fast, fast forward now where you, you're finishing the course, you, we've been working together for eight weeks. Um, I think you reported that you were generally feeling happy with your progress. You said that you felt your quality of life was better, didn't feel quite as much fatigue as you used to. Um, but you did give me this side note that, you know, you were still often struggling to get back to sleep when you yeah. woke during the night. Um And then I think you got back in touch with me a few days later and said, this is starting to get worse. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. starting to really struggle to fall back to sleep when I wake Mm -hmm. during the night. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? You know, what Mm -hmm. happened and what do you think was the the cause of that setback? Yeah. um, So as I said, I did really well with sleep drive and uh, generating sleepiness in order to um, fall asleep. So that became um, something that I got good at quickly. But this whole um, arousal system and and what happens when you wake up in the middle of the night and then not being able to fall back to sleep, that was more of a challenge for me and took, it just took longer. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was the source of my frustration and that I would fall asleep. You know, let's say my sleep window was at 11 o'clock, I'd fall asleep within 10 minutes, but then I'd be awake in three hours. And then many nights it took me time, a lot of time to go back to sleep. And so Mm -hmm. And that was close to the end of my eight week time with you. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it again, it kind of comes back to confidence. Um, you touched on, uh, you know, I did have a, a breakthrough kind of aha moment when I got a really great night's sleep about week five or six or something like that. Um, so I knew I could do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, but then once you do it, the question is, well, how do I get back to that place? But I think for a lot of us, um, that suffer from insomnia and I do have other friends that I've consulted with over time. Um, 
it's really easy to think a lot about sleep when you have insomnia, mm-hmm. more than is really good for you. And, um, you know, you, you could say obsess about it, that when you have insomnia, there's a tendency to research everything, to try to find a solution, to spend your days uh, thinking about your last night's sleep or what will your next night's sleep be like. Um, And uh, the struggle to fall back to sleep, um, you actually summed it up in an email to me one day uh, when I wrote you a long email about how Martin does, you know, I don't know what else to do. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. I follow all the directions and I, I'm struggling. What should I do? And you, um, in a very kind way said to me, well, what do you think you should do? And it really hit me that it was, I felt like you were kind of saying to me, I've given you all the tools, Jennifer, what's next for you? And what came to me was, I just need to let this go now. I need to stop trying to do anything about it. And remarkably, that was the key. So when I took all of the energy out of trying to figure out why or how or how to fix it, it resolved itself and not overnight, but I began to see that, Oh, when I woke up and everybody wakes up, it's not like, Oh, I'm just going to now sleep for eight hours and not ever wake up. I mean, I, I suppose there are folks that do that, but I think most people do wake up in the night. Um, I began to see that I could wake up and fall back to sleep relatively quickly Um, and the other thing that I do now when that happens is I just tell myself, um, it's okay. If I go back to sleep now, it's fine. If I don't go back to sleep now, it's okay too. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I think that's a fantastic insight. Um, because, you know, all these thoughts, this, this ongoing research, experimentation, the rumination um, is one of these perpetuating factors of insomnia. You know, it's, it's this on the, cog- on the arousal side, you know, this, this cognitive arousal, um, just always thinking and worrying about sleep, um, putting effort into sleep, trying to troubleshoot why every single difficult night happened, you know, exploring the past and worrying about the future. Um, it, it can just be so helpful to focus all attention simply on the process, mm. you know, just implementing behaviors that help set the stage for sleep and just trying to abandon all control um, because ultimately sleep works best when we try, when we don't get, in, when we don't get involved in it. Right. Um, as soon as we try to sleep um, or even just spend a lot of time researching sleep and experimenting, this by itself implies that we can control sleep when we can't. Mm-hmm. And that in itself just increases this cognitive arousal and can make sleep more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you said, that was kind of your breakthrough moment. You know, when I kind of prompted you, what do you think the, your response should be to this? Um, kind of sent you on this mental path of self-discovery that, mm-hmm. you know, just maybe focus on the process, recognize that, you know, I have no control over, certainly I have no control over what already happened last night because that's in the past. And really I don't have any control over sleep tonight, but what I can do is give it the best chance possible of happening by implementing these techniques that really just help set the stage for sleep. Right. 
Yeah, I chose at that point to let go of the sleep diary because I felt like mm. I already knew now after keeping a diary a really long time, I knew the pattern. I knew what I was supposed to do. I knew the results. I didn't need to chart it anymore. Um, and I felt like that just perpetuated again the focus. Yeah. Instead, mm -hmm. I decided to do an extra yoga class day or um, ride my bike for an hour where I would have normally focused on sleep. Uh, and so when your mind focuses on other things that are relaxing and enjoyable, um, you don't really have time to focus on the things that cause you anxiety or stress. Like, am I going to get a good night's sleep? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think the sleep diary can be really helpful in the short term just to help you identify where there are behaviors that are perhaps not helpful oh, yeah. for sleep, you know, like those inconsistent out of bed times, um, going to bed too early, for example, things like that. But once you get to that point where, and maybe even help hold yourself accountable to the changes as well. But when you get to that point where, you know, you recognize that putting effort into sleep or spending time analyzing sleep just isn't helpful. Um, you know, there's, there's really no need to be keeping a sleep journal or any, paying any attention mm -hmm. to sleep from that point. Mm -hmm. um, I love the fact that you kind of use that time that would have been spent filling out a sleep diary and thought, I'll use that time to add enjoyment to my life, mm -hmm. to enrich the quality of my days. Um, that's so helpful, you know, and that's yeah. something that I encourage everyone to do whether it's connected to keeping a sleep diary or not, just because right. it's so easy if we have insomnia to withdraw enjoyable activities from our life. You know, mm. oh, I don't feel like I've got the energy to do this anymore. Oh, I can't go to the movie theater and watch a late night movie anymore. I can't do this. I can't do that. So you're guaranteeing that sleep has a negative influence in your life. Right. You can just kind of, make that effort often getting started is the hardest part but if you can just make that effort to do things you enjoy these don't all have to be physical activities just things you enjoy that you get a sense of reward um, enrichment um, things that add quality to your day the more you can do that the more you can disconnect this idea that the quality of your day and the quality of your life is a hundred percent dependent on how you sleep because that's not true. Like we ultimately right. have the most control over the quality of our day and the more opportunity we give ourselves to prove that to ourselves, the more helpful that is, the less pressure we might be tempted to put on ourselves to sleep, the less worrisome it might be when we wake during the night. Um, and we also just give ourselves the opportunity, um, you know, to just recognize that even after a difficult night, we can still have some okay moments, maybe some good moments. And it can just yeah. really just lift that pressure off of ourselves because it's so easy to just put an overwhelming amount of pressure on ourselves to sleep and see it as something that's critically important to our lives. Absolutely. Yeah. Stop worrying about it. Yeah. So here we are. We've gone through the whole coronavirus right. uh, pandemic <laughs> and outbreak. Um, most people would... Um, maybe be expecting you to experience some setbacks at this time. And um, just like people that have never ex experienced insomnia before are, are finding themselves grappling with sleep, sleep problems at mm. the current time. What's sleep like for you now? What, what's a typical night like? 
Um, for the most part, um, I'll just use hours because people relate to that, even though I don't really look <laughs> at it that way anymore. But um, I get about six or seven or even more hours of sleep a night, most nights. Mm -hmm. um, but like, like all people, um, I don't, it, that's not every night. Some nights I get less. Mm -hmm. And, but I consider that all normal now. And um, last night, for example, I got less, but I, my dog is sick and she was up during the night. So I was up with her and people who have sick dogs get up in the middle of the night and they don't get a great <laughs> right. night's sleep. So mm -hmm. I just, um, um, I feel, uh, as I said before, the quality of my life is greatly improved because I feel so much better. Um, and part of that is, is a great night's sleep and part of it is no medication. Um, and part of it is I take great care of myself. So, um, yeah, I mean, coronavirus is a challenge for everybody. I'm sure there are people suffering with, with sleep troubles right now that didn't have them before. Mm -hmm. um, remarkably, I continue to improve through this. Um, um, maybe that, maybe being sequestered at home is, is relaxing on, cert on a certain level. And, um, you know, I don't know, but, um, but yeah, I, I, it's, it's, going, it's going really well. That's great. You know, I think it's it's amazing how our perspective changes. Um, when we're at that point where we don't really think or worry or pay any attention to sleep, um, our reaction to any difficult nights is completely different, isn't it? It's just like you go back to perhaps how you were in the past, whereby you have a bad night, but you don't think about it. You don't talk about it. You just accept it that you had a difficult night. Um, and then you see the next night as a fresh start. Um, yeah. And you can recognize obvious external causes of sleep disruption. You know, like if your pet is unwell, for example, um, it would be more unusual, I think, for you to sleep well in those circumstances. Right. Um, but it, yeah, it's your whole perspective changes. And you just, once you get to this point where you're not thinking about sleep, um, you just don't have that that worry, that pressure on yourself to no. sleep, and as a result, you just you you don't think about it. You know, it's no. just a complete transformation. Even like today, you know, I'm I'm a little bit uh, out of sorts today from taking care of the dog last night, mm. but I'm having a fine day, and it's great being here with you. And I'm not at all concerned about tonight, and. Mm -hmm that would not have been true six months ago. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's so easy when your confidence is still fragile or non-existent, you know, mm -hmm. that you can put those string of better nights together, but it's so easy for like one ch more challenging or one difficult night to kind of send you back and then lead to a number of nights of sleep disruption because then you worry. Yeah. Um, you worry about that one night, um, and that arousal in response is what can then disrupt sleep. But if you can just try and see each night as a fresh start, what happened in the past is not really relevant. Um, there's no way of predicting the future. Mm -hmm. um, the less the less concerned you can be, um, the easier sleep becomes. Right. I mean, I you know I haven't thrown the entire program out the window just because I feel better. There are still things about the program that you taught me that I still implement daily. So it's not to say that I, uh, you know, I just sort of go about my life not thinking about sleep. Everybody mm -hmm. thinks about sleep. But um, in particular, I, I noticed that uh, um, having a, a buffer zone, which you taught me, 
so that hour before bedtime or before you get sleepy mm -hmm. that I do something that is relaxing. I still do that every night because I find mm -hmm. that to be really useful for me just um, because I work a lot during the day and just to kind of unwind and just be in that space of relaxation, whether relaxation brings sleep or not is irrelevant to me, but just to be relaxed in that hour yeah. before bed is useful. And then the other thing um, is the clock watching. I, I recognized that I was a huge clock watcher when I uh, had insomnia that I would look at the clock when I was awake and I would look at it again and again and again and again. And, you know, of course, every time you look, it just makes things worse. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I avoid looking at the clock. Now I know that whether it's one in the morning or four in the morning, it doesn't really matter. I'll either go back to sleep or I won't. So why bother looking at the clock? So those are some things that I still do that's part of the program. But in terms of, you know, like the sleep window, I go to sleep when I'm sleepy and I wake yeah. up when I wake up. And mm -hmm. so it's much more, I guess people would think of it as natural than, um, you know, derived from a prescription of a program. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I'm really glad that you, you talked about that because some people can believe that, this let's say the sleep window for example the the sleep window is going to be something they're going to have to follow for the rest of their lives mm. um and especially when you first start out that sleep window is often quite short and the idea that i, I can well i can only spend say six hours in bed for the rest of my life i can't go to bed before this time for the rest of my life i have to be out of bed by this time for the rest right. of my life well no that's just a short-term behavioral change just because these this change is a really good way of helping you recognize in terms of sleep windows, sleep drive in the quickest mm -hmm. time possible. Right. So it's just to help you get those early wins under your belt um, right. and address these thoughts and behaviors that perpetuate insomnia until you get to that point where you feel more confident in your natural ability to sleep. Um, you spend less time thinking and worrying about sleep. And when you got to that point, you know, you don't really need those behavioral interventions so much anymore because those perpetuating factors behind insomnia aren't present or they're far less of an issue in terms mm -hmm. of your sleep. Mm -hmm. Right. And I know that, you know, if I should ever relapse into having real troubles, you know, ongoing troubles, not just the occasional, I didn't sleep well, uh, I have all the tools now. I, I've been through this with you. Um, you've supplied me with all the materials I can review again if I had to. I know how to implement um, all the techniques. Um, so that part of my confidence is so much greater as well because mm -hmm. I literally know now this will stick with me the rest of my life. Yeah. Even if I have to go back and use it again, I'm 100% mm -hmm. confident that, uh, that I, I can do this forever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I'm just such a big believer in these techniques, because not only do they just help you at the time you're first implementing them, but because they're skills based, you know, they're with you for life. Right. You know? So you were implementing these techniques for the original eight weeks of the course. Um, we ended up working together for an additional eight weeks, just so you got to that point where you felt confident enough to kind of go it alone but now moving forward you know that should you ever need help again in the future you don't need me anymore 
you've got those skills and they are with you for the rest of your life. So anytime you experience prolonged sleep disruption, you individually know exactly what you need to do to get your sleep right back on track all by yourself. Yes, very much so. Okay, so I have one last question for you. I really appreciate uh, the time that you've spared us today, but I do like to end um, every episode with this one question. So I'm going to pose it to you now, Jennifer. Okay. Um, if someone with chronic insomnia is listening, uh, it feels as though they've tried everything, that they're beyond help, they can't do anything to improve their sleep, what would you tell them? Uh, they don't know Martin Reed. <laughs> That's what I would tell them. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I, I mean, I am that person you just described, right? I had tried everything and I had, um, you know, had very limited success with trying everything for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say uh, you have nothing to lose if you think you've tried everything uh, in trying this. Um, and that... The key, I think, to being successful is really your own commitment to this. Mm. Uh, and, and I'm not one of those extremely driven people where I set my mind to something and I always, I'm not really that person. So it's not like, um, you know, I'm just a cra- crazy achiever. Um, but I really knew um, that this needed to change for me. And, uh, and I really wanted it to be uh, this natural um, program that was behavioral change um, that was that would make the difference so I I would say to people you know if you really have tried everything um, and, and I wouldn't get to a place where I tried everything I would try this first this is the way to go uh, and if you try it for eight weeks and I don't know remarkably it doesn't work for you what have you really lost that's great. but I don't think that'll be true because it does work yeah uh, yeah, I, I'm, I completely agree with you. You know, um, I, I hear from a lot of people who tell me they've tried everything. Um, often it doesn't involve these cognitive and behavioral techniques um, through no fault of their own. It's just they're too difficult to discover. It's you too hard find to find out about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and doctors people- don't know about them either. Exactly. Um, or people have tried them, maybe struggled, um, and then um, not had that support system in place mm. to help them get through those challenges and so have withdrawn uh, from it and then moved on to trying something different. Um, I don't think this is something you read in a book, honestly. Mm-hmm. It isn't. And I would not have attempted this without support. Uh, it is challenging enough that you, you need a coach, you know. Mm. All right. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on uh, today, Jennifer. I think that your story is going to resonate with a lot of people, especially with those ups and downs, um, you know, what, how to respond to the setbacks, um, how to keep yourself moving forward. And if anyone can identify even a little bit with your experience, I'm hoping that our conversation will give them the motivation to do exactly what you did and get their sleep back on track. Because if you were successful, there's no reason why anyone else can't be successful too. Exactly. Yes. I wish everyone well. (laughs) Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Insomnia Coach podcast. If you're ready to implement evidence-based cognitive and behavioral techniques to improve your sleep, but think you might need some additional support and guidance, I would love to help. 
there are two ways we can work together. First, you can get my online coaching course. This is the most popular option. My course combines sleep education with individualized coaching and is guaranteed to improve your sleep. You will learn new ways of thinking about sleep and implement better sleep habits over a period of eight weeks. This gives you time to build sleep confidence and notice results without feeling overwhelmed. You can get the course and start right now at insomniacoach.com forward slash online. I also offer a phone coaching package where we start with a one hour call. This can be voice only or video, your choice, and we come up with an initial two week plan that will have you implementing cognitive and behavioral techniques that will lead to long-term improvements in your sleep. You get unlimited email-based support and guidance for two weeks after the call, along with a half-hour follow-up call at the end of the two weeks. You can book the phone coaching package at insomniacoach.com forward slash phone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Insomnia Coach podcast. I'm Martin Reed, and as always, I'd like to leave you with this important reminder. You can sleep.